So Paul's missionary journeys, I'm making a switch from the New American Standard updated edition 1995 to the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. So uh, I just think it's the best translation that's out there. I, I really do. I'm biased. But even if I weren't biased, I would say that. So um, uh, if you want to uh, make the jump with me, uh, I would encourage you this week, go out and get an LSB if you haven't already. If you don't want to make the jump, that's okay, because, you know, it's English and it's translatable and you can see a little bit different words and all that. Uh, just a side comment, I, 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 I love uh, the NASB and the LSB for a couple of reasons. I love that it, it capitalizes personal pronouns for God. I love it that it italicizes words that are not used in the original I love the LSB because of the consistency of words that it uses to represent the original words. And I like it because the verb tenses and so forth that's represented in the original is very well represented in the English um, and participles as well. So uh, all that, just just a a little bit of encouragement for you and excitement about doing that, although it's going to be a little bit of a jump because I've I've only really ever preached for, for... decades out of the NASB. So I'm, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big move for me, but worthwhile. So Paul's missionary journeys. I want to I look at really kind of the life of Paul from his conversion to his death. And if we think about that, it started really with persecution and conversion. So there's a map here. I know it's very small from where you're at, but that's Jerusalem. Uh, well, so, so if you look at, that's Israel. If you look at Israel on a map, uh, it's on, you know, the the it's, it's the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. So if you were to be, go off the boot of Italy and just take a, a, a boat and sail east, you'd hit Palestine, you'd hit Israel. And it's recognizable on maps because it looks like a keyhole. It's got a little, a little lake at the top, which is actually a very big lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee. And then the Jordan River comes down and it connects to a bigger lake at the bottom, which is called the Dead Sea. And just to the west of the Dead Sea is... Um, Jerusalem. And topographically, topography is important when reading the New Testament, but just just by way of introduction, it's very similar to Southern California. Uh, So you've got uh, the coastal plain, which is like the LA basin, right? It's just all pretty much flat, you know, and then you have foothills, which I guess would be like Riverside, I don't know. So, uh, and then you've, they call the Sfela, or the foothills, and then you have the mountain ranges, uh, and Jerusalem is up on the mountain range, and that would be like Big Bear, I suppose. I mean, it's, it, the altitude is, is not, maybe not quite that high, but it gives you an idea. And then, then it goes down into a deep valley. That's the Jordan River Valley in, where the Dead Sea flows into, and it comes up a little bit, and then you have the eastern tableland, which is all desert. That's Arizona. So it's very similar, actually, to our topography um, the reason that's important is because as you're reading the New Testament, it often says, we went up to Jerusalem, we went down to Antioch, we went, and this sort of thing. And they're talking about elevation because pretty much from everywhere you went up like in altitude when you were going. It wasn't north, south, and so forth. And so, but Jerusalem is where the church started. Jerusalem is, is the hub. And Jerusalem uh, is in Judea, which is in the southern kingdom. And it's right here. It's right kind of in this mountain range right next to the, the, the Dead Sea. So uh, you can't see the Dead Sea from it yet. But in Zechariah 14, it says one day when Christ comes back, he'll, he'll land on the Mount of Olives. It will split in two and water will flow from Jerusalem to uh, the Dead Sea. And so 
Uh, I'm looking forward to that day. It hasn't happened yet, but um, we'll be raptured by then. But it, it, will, it will still be impressive when we come down for the thousand-year millennium. Um, uh, some, if you look at uh, um, Paul's beginning, of course, he was in the Jewish system. He studied uh, under a, a famous rabbi. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, um, but he was unsaved. And he thought that killing Christians was pleasing to God because he thought that Christians were a threat to the true religion of Yahweh. And one of the key passages, of course, would be Stephen's death, the martyrdom of Stephen in Acts 7, uh, verse 58 through uh, verse 1, which says, And when they had driven him out of that city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul, who later became Paul, was present at the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Um, uh, and Stephen, was call- as he was calling out, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So Judea is where Jerusalem is. It's that southern area. It's the area really to the left, um, to the west of the Dead Sea area. And anything north of that would be uh, Israel, where the northern kingdom would be Samaria. Samaria would be in between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. The Galilee region is where Nazareth was, where Jesus was uh, born. Uh, sorry, uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but uh, it, up in Galilee where he was raised. And so that's that northern area. And, of course, you know, Jews often traveled through Samaria to get from the north to the south. Um, another passage would be uh, that relates to the persecution and conversion, his Paul as a persecutor, and then his conversion would be Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, which says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for the letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belongings to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that when he was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. So we have Saul, and there's there's a lot going on here, but Saul thinks he's pleasing God. He's, He's not a believer in Christ yet, therefore he's not genuinely saved yet. And yet, um, uh, he is involved in uh, sort of the, the, the dispersion of all the Christians from Jerusalem and Judea. And he um, approached Damascus. He's going up to the area of Arabia, which would be north of the Sea of Galilee, uh, modern-day Syria. And um, he is um, trying to find more believers there and, and you know, flush them out and, and, and persecute them, arrest them. And as he's traveling, Jesus appears to him. I love it. I love it. I love it that Christ relates to his church so intimately that he doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? But he says, why are you persecuting me? He identifies with you 
so closely that when something happens to the church, he feels it. And um, Paul is blinded by this. Paul ends up uh, coming to faith through this experience, repenting, trusting in Christ as his Lord and Master, the biggest conversion, biggest turnaround uh, that, that anybody had seen in the early churches recorded. If you read the book of Acts and you had never read it before and you had no idea what was happening, I think you might think that Barnabas was going to be the key figure in Acts. I mean, Barnabas is Acts chapter 4, verse 36. He's a son of encouragement. He sells a piece of land. He brings it to the apostles' feet. Um, he is a real believer in people. And, 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 and even when he starts ministering with Paul, it's like Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. But then, uh, and, and, and Paul's name is changed from Saul to Paul at his conversion by our Lord. He says he wants to call him Paul now. And so, so uh, then we but, we, but but at some point it switches, and now it's like Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas, and 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 Paul is introduced to us really in in the stoning of Stephen. And so you think, okay, boo, he's a bad guy. But then all of a sudden, this radical conversion. Wait, what's this? What's happening? And from chapter nine all the way through the end of the book. It's really focusing on the work that the Lord did through the Apostle Paul. Um, And so uh, finally, one other passage from Acts chapter 9 on Paul's conversion um, is that it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 19 through 26, now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. And all those who were hearing him continued to be astounded and were saying, is this not the, the one who in Jerusalem destroyed those that called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this one is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to put him to death. But their plot became known to Saul and they were also watching the gate day and night, so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. All right, so they're all hiding from Saul, who's a great persecutor of the church. And all of a sudden, Paul's preaching Christ. And people are astonished. How can this be? But even the believers thought, Okay, we know what's going on here, right? He's, a, he's like a double agent. He's like trying to say, uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, converted now so he can get to the inner circle and kill us all. I mean, that's really, this is really what's going on. He is a wolf among the, the sheep, and he's really just, just got ulterior motives here, and that's why he's saying all these things, and he's going he's gonna to kill us all. And so they didn't trust him. Of course, who stuck up for him? Barnabas. Barnabas introduces him to some of the apostles, and he, sees, he meets with some of them, but not all of them. Uh, and so that was, that was a period of three years that took place, what you would call his conversion years, and uh, 34 to 37 AD. So it's beginning about a year after the death of our Lord. And um, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 to 24, Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, and he said, uh, nor did I go up to Jerusalem or to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem and became acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Then I went to the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea who were in Christ. Verse 23 of Galatians 1 says, but 
but only they kept, uh, but only they kept hearing he who once persecuted us is now proclaiming the good news of faith which he once tried to destroy and they were glorifying God because of me and so I think people you read the book of Acts and you just you don't get the whole timeline you think okay he was converted and then he's in Damascus with those disciples and he goes down to Jerusalem gets out let down from a basket but there was a three-year gap in there and he was largely in the desert uh, presumably studying, learning about Christ, reading the Old Testament scriptures now with, with Holy Spirit uh, uh, in, you know, eyes and, and understanding. And so uh, he was indwelled by the Holy Spirit because he was a true believer. So, so that, was, that, that was a period which I've just entitled persecution and conversion. The next period of his life was waiting and serving. And, and it was about nine years, nine to 11 years maybe in there, depending on how you're counting. It's difficult because of uh, uh, they don't give us precise dates as to when things start and stop. But, but um, uh, he was in Tarsus. Now, Tarsus is where Saul was from or Paul was from. He was Saul of Tarsus. And Tarsus is up. Uh, if you look, this is a smaller map. I know it's hard to see, but uh, Palestine is down below. Jerusalem is right there by the Dead Sea. And then way up on that northwest corner of the Mediterranean. So the, th- that little corner is where Antioch was. Antioch was a Gentile area. It's modern-day Syria. It's where uh, a lot of... Um, uh, w- w- but there were some believers there, and they were wanting to hear the gospel. And in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, it says this, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Now the the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch, who, when he arrived and saw the grace of God, rejoiced and began to encourage all of them with a purposeful heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a considerable crowd was brought to the Lord. And he left, this is Barnabas. Barnabas left for Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it happened that for an entire year, they met with the church and taught a considerable crowd. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Again, I think if you're reading the book of Acts, this is one of the biggest surprises, if you think about it in a timeline, is that you have this impression that Saul was saved, Saul went to Jerusalem, met the apostles, and then he went out on these missionary journeys. Saul was saved. He was in the desert for three years. He came to Jerusalem. He met with some of the apostles. And then some of them went to meet with him. And then where did he go? Back to his hometown for a decade. And we don't know what he was doing there. And it wasn't except for Barnabas. Barnabas goes up to Antioch to help the church there and minister to them who are desperate. And he says, I need some help teaching. And he says, I know I'm not far from Tarsus. Tarsus is is right on the other side of, uh, uh, of kind of that corner. It still would be close to that red circle in this picture uh, in, the, in the, that region of Cilicia. And so he goes over to uh, Tarsus, finds Paul, and brings him to Antioch, where together for a year they're teaching the church at Antioch. So really cool because, I mean, sometimes we think, man, you know, and, and Paul was an amazing guy, and, and, but Christ transformed his life. And you're thinking, well, how, how can Christ do that in my life? Well, you know, but I mean, there, we're already looking at like about 14 years where he's done very little. Um, and, I, and I just want to encourage you if, if you, you feel like, 
wow, what can I do, you know? Uh, you know, it wasn't until Paul was later in his life that he really started going on these missionary journeys. Um, it reminds me of a, of a, of a missionary that I knew um, uh, in Africa who left for Africa in his mid-40s. So he left for Africa in his mid-40s and uh, was there until he was 90. And uh, by God's grace, was able to establish three different Bible colleges in three different countries in Africa and just God really blessed the ministry that this guy was involved in. And, and, and this is a guy who was a great encouragement to me. One, one of my, when I was 19 years in Africa, and one of, the, one of the times I was most discouraged is when I was, had recently got there and I had purchased a car, and I had totaled the car within two weeks. Uh, there was a truck that... Um, I, I, there was a truck. So um, <laughs> I... Um, but I remember I went to a missionary potluck that night, and this guy was there. But I was kind of down because... You know, when you, when you, when you, I, I had, it was an older car, it was a couple thousand dollars, but I was young, single missionary, and it was, it was, a, it was a big investment for me, and it was gone. And he came up to me, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, you know, I remember one time when my uh, tractor broke down, my house burned down, and my truck fell in the river. That was a tough time. <laughs> he was like 80. And he looked at me and just smiled. And for some reason, that made me feel a lot better. You know, I was just like, like, this guy can go through that, and he's just, like, joyful, you know. And then he, I asked him. He told me the whole story. It's a good story. Anyway, so, um, but uh, uh, there's, there's Saul and now Paul, and they're, they're ministering together. And then we have the next period, which we'd call the, the commissioning. And this is that one-year period uh, that they're ministering in Antioch, and then they're sent out by the church in, Maniac, in Antioch, uh, uh, Saul or Paul and Barnabas, and it says, and notice that it's Barnabas and Saul here still. It's Barnabas who is who is um, listed first in verse twenty-five of Acts chapter twelve. Acts chapter twelve, verse twenty-five through thirteen, chapter chapter thirteen, verse three says, and Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, fulfilling their ministry, talking along with them, taking along with them John. This is John Mark, uh, John who was also called Mark. Now, they were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and a Menean who had been, and Menean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. This is the first missionary commissioning. I know some of you are visiting from commissioned today. I just want to say this, that you can be commissioned out of any fellowship group. Just because they named their group commissioned doesn't mean that we can't send you out as missionaries. The church in Antioch did it. Grace Church can do it out of any fellowship group. So just wanted to you know, encourage you with that. Um, in fact, if you want to go to commission, we commission you after this to visit commission. That would be fine because they're going to meet right here, right? They meet here, I think. Yes. Okay. So, um, but uh, you may prefer to just go to main service. But anyways, um, uh, <laughs> so uh, this is the commission. The Holy Spirit called them to be the first missionaries and the church sent them out. And these were their key teachers. And I love it again that, that Barnabas and Saul were the teachers of the church. They sent out their best. And that's kind of exciting. So uh, the first missionary journey, we're going to talk about this. It's, it's, a, it's basically you know, a year, maybe 10 months, 
Different people have different timelines for this. But again, I know this is very small from where you're sitting, but I want to show you. It all started in Antioch. They ended up going over to Cyprus, and John Mark was with them. So there were three on their little missionary team. It was Barnabas and Saul and John Mark. And uh, Cyprus, they, they started on one end of the island. They landed there by boat. They worked their way through the island, and then they went up to Perga. Perga is in Pamphylia. It's, it's modern-day Turkey. It's there near the coast, and it's there where John Mark deserted them. He said, hey, this is tough. And, and the road from Perga all the way up to Pisidian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch is, this, uh, is, is uh, 100 miles north, at least, of, of, um, of Perga on the coast. And it was a treacherous road. It was a dangerous road. It was known for thieves. There was malaria. It was, it was not an easy journey. And after what they'd experienced in Cyprus, John Mark just said it was too much for him, and he bailed and left. Okay? So Paul and Barnabas carried on, and they went up to... Now, there are a lot of places named Antioch. This Antioch is not the Antioch they were sent from, which is on the coast, on that northwest corner of the Mediterranean. This one is in modern-day Turkey in an area called Pisidia. And so often it's referred to as Pisidian Antioch. And so uh, they get to Pisidian Antioch, and from there they go into Galatia. Now, Galatia is a region, and there were three churches that they visited there, um, uh, and, and that would be Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And if you look at the, the journey, they actually uh, you know, start in Antioch, they go through Cyprus, they end up in southern Turkey, they're in Perga, and then they go to Pisidian Antioch in the north, and they go Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, and then they, get turned around, they turn around and they go back to, in reverse order, and they visit the places they visited. So they go from Derby to Lystra, and then Iconium, and then back to Pisidian Antioch, and then down to Perga, and Pamphylia, that area down there by the coast, and sail out of uh, Italia. So, uh, and, and then they go straight to Antioch. Now, um, that's the first missionary journey. Again, less than a year. Acts 13 and 14 uh, chronicles that first missionary journey. A portion of that I'll read from Acts 14, verses 19 through 28, while they're in Lystra. Okay, And it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. This isn't Antioch, their hometown. This is Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, where they just visited. And Iconium, which sounds like some kind of medical uh, you know, indigestion relief or something like that, was a town, Iconium. Uh, uh, but they had visited there, and there were people that were angry. Paul pretty much went and preached in the synagogue, then went to the Gentiles until people who were Jews who were angry at him for preaching Christ chased him out of town. But these guys were so angry in the two previous towns that they went to where he was going next, and they decided to persecute him there, and that was in Lystra. So Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and after winning over the crowds and stoning Paul, they were dragging him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. You have to be pretty, you have to be pretty injured for the people who are trying to kill you to think that you're dead. Um, but while the disciples stood around him, he rose up and entered the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after they had proclaimed the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. What kind of stick or steadfastness do you have to have to be beaten to the point of death and get out of there and go to the next city? And somebody says, hey, where should we go from here? And Paul says, hey, let's go back to where we just were. That was a riot, literally. I mean, it was like... Uh, let's, I mean, who does that? Why do you do that? Verse 23 of Acts 14. 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many afflictions, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended themselves, they commended them to the Lord who had believed. And when they passed through Pisidia, that's Pisidian Antioch area, uh, they came to Pamphylia down there on the coast. Uh, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, from where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent not a little time with the disciples. So this is an amazing journey. That's the first missionary journey, and they get back to Antioch, where they were sent out from originally, And how long did they spend there? Not a little time. That's what it tells us, not a little time. So it was a long time that they spent back at their home church reporting to them all that the Lord had done. Really cool. I mean, you would be encouraged if somebody who you saw beaten for their faith actually came back and said, yeah, this is what it takes. This is what it takes, but be encouraged. And Paul was all about the church. I met a guy one time, and he had visited our church in Malawi, and um, I, said, I said he was a missionary in the country, and, but he was kind of like sporadically attending. He was kind of there, hit or miss. And I said, hey, are you going to be a part of this church or what? He goes, well, I'm kind of like the Apostle Paul. I said, really? Well, how so? And he said, well, I just float around from church to church. And I'm like, Is, are you talking about the Apostle Paul from the Bible? I said that to him. Because <laughs> that's not the Apostle Paul. I mean, he lived and bled and died for the church. And he went back to help establish elders in the church. Every town he was in, he was associated with the church. And the reason he floated around is they were throwing stones at him. You know, otherwise, he would have stayed longer. So um, that's the first missionary journey. Um, and let's go look at the second missionary journey. Or there's a little gap after that first missionary journey. Um, how long was that? Not a little time. Maybe a year, 50 AD now, Okay. And the key passage would be Acts 15. Um, during that year, they did make one trip. There was a, there was a, the Acts 15 controversy is something that you read about, you talk about, you should be familiar with it. Acts 15 talks about the fact that there were some who were teaching, they were Judaizers, and they were teaching that in order to become a Christian, you need to become Jew, Jewish first. You need to get circumcised, follow the Jewish dietary laws and rules, and then you can become a Christian. And they were telling Gentiles this. And Paul says, no, 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 that's works. That's called works righteousness. And so he went down and he brought a, gen- a Gentile with him. He brought Titus with, them, with him and said, are you telling me this guy needs to be circumcised to be saved? Titus, tell me your testimony again. And he gives this report about all the, missionary- all the people who are coming to faith in Christ in Iconium, Lystra, Derby. He goes through all of that in Acts 15. And they- the disciples actually come to a key. It was the first big theological debate in the church. Heresy had crept in, and they came out on the right side of it, and they said, no, you do not need to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. You're saved by grace through faith alone. So that was key. Paul made that trip down in that, in that year that he, after the first missionary journey. Acts 15, verses 7 through 12, let's just listen to a snippet of that. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, this is the apostles now debating in Acts 15, He says, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles, by by the mouth of Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them 
giving the Holy, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciple a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? We haven't been able to follow the law. Why are we saying they have to follow the law? The law was to point us to Christ and show us our need. Verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they also are. Uh, And all the multitude kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul, still Barnabas and Paul here, as they're relating what signs and wonders God had done throughout them among the Gentiles. And so that's, that's the Acts 15 council, the Jerusalem council that met at Acts 15 where church leaders came, the apostles were there and they debated this issue. It's significant. It happened during that, that year after the first missionary journey. Um, and then after that, in Acts 15, verses 36 through 40, it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas. Now it's Paul saying to Barnabas. So we're seeing a switch here. Hey, let us return and visit the brothers in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Hey, let's go back to where we were beaten. You know, let's go do it. We need to do that. And Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with, I love Barnabas, such a believer in people. Hey, remember that guy that deserted us, my cousin? Yeah, he wants to come along too. Can he come again too? Um, uh, but Paul, verse 38 of Acts 15, kept insisting that they should take, not take him along who had departed them in Pamphylia and had not gone with him to the work. And there was such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, and being and being committed uh, by the brothers to the grace of God. So the missionary team had a division. This is the first split of missionary organizations. We had the missionary organization that was called Barnabas and Saul, and now they split, and now there's two of them. It's Barnabas and John Mark, and they we could have the, the whole book. The cameraman could have gone with them. And, and, and done the whole story. And, and we could be talking about Barnabas and, 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 and John Mark this whole time. But instead, Luke and others who recorded the book of Acts, you know, paired up and get, by, by God's divine providence w- was with Paul and Silas. And so we have their story in the book of Acts. And, but you can be sure that there are many more stories that we would have loved to have heard from the other missionary team. And the good news is the first split actually rejoined because later Paul wrote, and send for John Mark for he has been useful to me. And so uh, something happened where Paul admitted he was wrong, that John Mark is a worthy guy and, and John Mark was, was uh, um, really um, became useful to him. And so that's kind of a, a sweet note there that God allows sometimes sharp disagreements even among Christians and it, it ends up in him being glorified. In this case, the work expanding. Uh, and then there was also reconciliation, which is, which is something we'll talk a lot about in 2 Corinthians. Okay, um, second missionary journey. Um, about two and a half to three years, Acts 16 through 18. And during that time, Paul wrote First uh, and Second Thessalonians. And during that time, he started in Antioch, where the church was there in the north, west, corner of the sea of the sorry the um, Mediterranean Sea and uh, they they went by road first and they went over to Tarsus where Paul was from and then where they go back to Galatia and but they started Derby because they're going by road they didn't take the, the the ocean over to that 
Perga region. So they went to Antioch, Tarsus, Derby, Lystra, Pisidian Antioch, and then that whole area of of um, uh, of kind of the northern area of Turkey there is called Asia, and so. Uh, we think of Asia as in China, but in those days, Asia is that area of Turkey. Asia Minor would be down on the south where Ephesus was. But they went to that area. The Holy Spirit led them to go north, and they ended up going over, and they crossed the Aegean Sea, and they end up in Philippi. Philippi is Macedonia. They had the Macedonian call, and the Spirit was leading them to go to northern Greece. And they end up in, in, um, in uh, Philippi. They come down to Thessalonica, Berea where the Bereans were so diligent, they tested, they looked in the scriptures, right? And then they came down uh, the coast and they ended up in Athens and Corinth. Remember, Greece is next to Turkey. It's in between uh, Turkey and Italy. And it looks like two Greece splotches uh, with a small little strip of land separating them. That small little strip of land is, is where boats would often be pulled across. There was a, a, a Navy town there where, where sailors would hang out while the boats were being pulled across that strip of land because it was safer than sailing around the rocky area of southern Greece. And so that's where Corinth was, the town of Corinth. It was a debaucherous place because there were Navy guys there. And so, um, uh, but um, Philippi, uh, so, and, they, and they end up going to Corinth. And then on the way back, they stop by Ephesus. That's Paul's first visit to the Ephesians. And then they go to Jerusalem and back to Antioch. Key passage, Acts 16 through 18. In Acts 18, 1 through 11, it says this. After these things, he departed Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and his wife Priscilla, who recently came from Italy because of Claudius, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he was staying with them, and they were working. They were, uh, for, by trade, they were tent makers. And he went reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly bearing witness to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a God-fearer whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night, sent, said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no man will lay hands on, a hand on you in order to harm you. For I have many people in the city. And he stayed there, uh, there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So there's Paul helping to establish the church in Corinth. Many people come to faith in Christ, a lot of Gentiles. And he's there a year and a half with them. It's his longest place he's ever stayed besides Antioch. And so now he, he loves the Corinthians. He's there. Uh, after that, uh, he ends up leaving and going uh, back home. It says in Acts 18, beginning in verse 18 through 23, and Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of his brothers and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila in Sincre. Um, and he had, he had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow for they arrived at Ephesus and he left them there. Now himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. But when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God's will. God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. So that he was in, Ephesians, in Ephesus, they loved him. They wanted him to stay. He says, no, I'll come back if I can, if God wills. 
And when he had landed at Caesarea, that's back in Palestine now, uh, he went up and greeted the church. Where's up to? Jerusalem. He went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. Now, Antioch's far north, but he went down because topographically it's lower altitude. And having spent some time there, he left and and passed successfully through the Galatian region and Fergia, strengthening all the disciples. So that is the second missionary journey uh, coming to an end. And now we end up going to the third missionary journey. This is a three-year period. He takes off again, and he, he starts again going by land like he did before. Where does he go? Where he used to, his old place where he used to get beat up at, right? Uh, Antioch, Galatia. Um, so he goes from Antioch. He goes, he goes to you know, those churches in Galatia, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium, uh, but, but starting in Derby and then to Lystra and then Iconium. And then um, he goes up to Macedonia where he was before, Philippi, the church there, and then uh, Achaia. Achaia is that southern region of Greece, and he's there where Corinth is at. And then he goes to Miletus, which is close to Ephesus, and he stays there three years encouraging the church in, Jeru- in, in Ephesus. And then it's back to Jerusalem. Uh, he actually, uh, um, so, so, and during that time, he wrote First and Second Corinthians from Ephesus. And so he actually wrote uh, another letter to the church in Corinth, uh, at least one more. And we'll talk about that, I think, next week when we introduce and get right into the book of Second Corinthians. But there was a lot of drama going on between him and the church in Corinth, who, where he'd stayed for um, um, uh, three, uh, a year and a half. Now he's in Ephesus. He's not far away. He could take a ship across there at any time if he wanted to. But he's sending letters, and we have two of them, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He also writes Romans from Ephesus. Acts 21 says, Now when the seven days were uh, almost over, so um, Paul had decided to go back to uh, Jerusalem, and there was a great need in Jerusalem because there was, of course, great persecution. There had been a famine in Jerusalem. Many of the Jews who became Christians were, were just completely abandoned by their relatives. People wouldn't do business with them. So there was hunger. There was starvation. There was all kinds of issues that, that the church hadn't really recovered from. It was poverty-stricken. In God's sovereignty, he allowed the first church, the flourishing church of Jerusalem, to be really struggling so that their brothers and sisters from Gentile churches could help them financially. And, and Paul helped organize that, and Paul collected offerings and then brought the offerings to Jerusalem. And on the way there, he took a vow, he shaved his head, and he decided to go back to the temple, not because he's returning to Judaism, but because it was an opportunity for him to witness again to Jews in Jerusalem. And so he goes there, but they don't like him coming to the temple. I mean, by now, Paul's got a little bit of reputation. And so... Uh, his, his vow, he was, went through a time of cleansing when he got there, and that's how it starts in Acts 21, verse 27. And when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon noticing him in the temple, began to throw all the crowd in confusion and laid hands on him. This isn't a commissioning service. This is a different kind of laying hands on him, all right? Crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches to everyone everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he's even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus 
the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion at once. He took along soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul, and then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, and he being asked who he was and what he had done. Arrest first, put him in chains, and then get information later. That's how it was back then. And so Paul is arrested. Um, and um, so that, that's at the end of his last uh, uh, third missionary journey. And then we start what we would call the fourth missionary journey or the government-sponsored mission trip because... Uh, this one was paid for by Rome. Of course, he spent two years in jail at the beginning um, in Jerusalem. He was in the Caesarea for two years, imprisoned, and he could have been released, except for he was a, since he was a Roman citizen, and at one stage he appealed to Caesar and said, I deserve a fair trial, and so they said, fine, we'll send you to Rome. And so they sent him to Rome, and on the way, uh, they went through Antioch, um, Crete, um, and then... Uh, there were storms and so forth, and they end up shipwrecked on the island of Malta, which is just below Sicily there, the football at the lower end of the boot of Italy. And they were shipwrecked on Malta, and uh, then um, uh, he ends up in Rome, where he's imprisoned in Rome for about uh, six years. And there are two imprisonments there. Um, but So we got a 10-year period for the fourth, what's called the fourth missionary journey. And, 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 and isn't it amazing? I mean, God takes the most, the boldest evangelist who's traveled around the world, and he says, you know what? You need to write some of this down. So he puts him in a place where he has plenty of time on his hands. And during that time, he writes Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, 1 Timothy, Titus, and then 2 Timothy. So um, then uh, Acts 28, verses 18 through 24, it says... Paul's recounting this, and he's he's in Rome now. And he says, And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brothers come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you, but we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against, uh, spoken against everywhere. And when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them, solemnly bearing witness about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening, and some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others were not believing. So even while he was under house arrest, lots of people came to him, and he's proclaiming the scriptures to them and the gospel, and many were coming to faith in Rome. So let me give a summary of Paul's ministry. You have, you know, you can kind of break it up into three decades. The first one, probably about 14 years, but you've got three years in Arabia mostly, and approximately nine to 11 years between the first visit to Jerusalem and his calling to Antioch. And then you have a, a 10 years approximately on the first three missionary journeys. And then you have approximately nine years on that fourth missionary journey. 
Um, and you have two imprisonments during that time. It's important to realize that because sometimes you read his letters and you have to say, well, what book did he write in which imprisonment? Because uh, was he really suffering? And sometimes you can say, well, he was in this dungeon, but he wasn't for much of the time. And you can tell from some of his letters like how encouraged he was. In his first imprisonment, he expected to be released, and he was released. Um, He was under house arrest during that first imprisonment. He had decent conditions. Many friends visited him, and he had many opportunities to witness, and he was very optimistic about his release. He says in Philippians 1, 24 and 26, uh, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake, and convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your reason for boasting may abound in Christ Jesus and me through my coming to you again. So he's writing to Macedonia from Rome, that northern Greece to Rome, saying, hey, I'm going to be released. I believe I'm going to come to you again. I hope to see you again. I look forward to it. That's his letter to the Philippians. The second Roman imprisonment, we don't know a whole lot of the circumstances as to why or how or when, but he ends up in a dungeon, cold, dark. This is during Nero's reign. So there were the, the whole tide had turned. I mean, uh, you know, uh, a new party had come into town. And so um, only Timothy was with him. So he couldn't have a lot of visitors, presumably. Um, and uh, he anticipated his death and execution, which is why in 2 Timothy, his last epistle, he wrote in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And here is the final exclamation point for us today. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And I just want to close with that. And just the thought that, have you loved the appearing of Christ? Have you truly repented of your sins and turned and followed him? And if you have, I want you to be encouraged and be inspired to live out your faith. God has you in an area for a purpose of glorifying him. And you may feel like you're spinning the wheels and you're just there making tents in Tarsus for 14 years or 10 years or however long it was. But... Uh, uh, um, not that everyone has to sell up and go to Africa, although if you talk to me if you want to. But, but uh, you know, your highest calling is to live out your faith in, in, and use the gifts that God has given you. That's what he's called all of us to do here in the church. And I hope that this has been kind of encouraging. It's been kind of a slossom saying, it's a real flyover, but it's a, it's, it's, it's really sweet to see uh, all those years in one time. We're going to come, and we're, next week we're going to zoom in to that Second Corinthians time of Paul's life, and then we're going to spend many weeks to come looking at Second Corinthians. Let's pray. Uh, thank you, Father, for uh, this time together. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity we've had to just uh, look at a life well-lived, uh, a man of faith. And we're, we're grateful, Lord, for the work that you did in his life. We're grateful for you calling us as well. 
We pray for those who might hear this message who know nothing of really living for you, who are still holding on to their sin. We pray that this day they would repent and turn and trust in you wholeheartedly. And for those of us who love your appearing and who uh, have repented of our sins and turned and trusted in you and given our lives to you, may this be an encouragement to us to be bold in our faith and to share with others the hope of eternal life and the work that you alone do. So we commit this to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.